watching. My name is Michael Brock. I'm the senior pastor here at Third Presbyterian Church. Third Pres has been a part of the downtown Birmingham community since 1884, and we still today hold to the historic, classic Christian faith. We're glad you've been watching, but we would love to have you join us one Sunday in person. Please see our website for our Sunday morning service times, and I hope to meet you soon. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them with me to Romans chapter 5. In your pew Bibles, that's page number 942. 942, Romans chapter 5, where this morning we'll be looking at verses 12 to 21. And as you can see, at this time, the children are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. You know, we all have uh, spent time on YouTube or whatever, seeing different videos, watching things. One of the ones that I've found myself uh, watching on occasion recently is just of this guy mowing yards. You've probably seen him where uh, he, he, he finds kind of the worst yard in a neighborhood. A lot of times the house is condemned by the city or something like that, and the grass is overgrown like crazy. And, uh, and it shows him edging and cutting and... You know, it's just, it's, uh, he's just cutting grass, really. But it's something that I've seen. I'm like, oh, I want to watch that. I want to see the transformation. I want to see what's going on here. Of course, he's doing that just as an individual. Another one I saw recently that I enjoyed was a comparison between uh, pit crews from about 20 years ago. I know pit, pit crew is, you know, NASCAR, Formula One racing, you know, the guys who rush in when the car pulls into the onto pit row into their pit stop and, you know, fill it up with gas and change the tires and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so it showed how fast they were able to do all of that in 20, you know, 2004 versus in modern times, you know, 20 years later now, how much quicker they are. You know, they save, you know, 2.7 seconds or whatever it is, which is probably a lot of time if you're racing around a track at 200 miles an hour. It matters. Well, the thing about the pit crew and how it's different from the guy who's mowing yards is the the pit crew, everybody is essential to that process. What one person does affects the whole team. If one person uh, messes up in in their efforts to change the tires and fill it up with gas and all that, then it affects everybody, which is, you know, the principle, of course, is that to be connected uh, uh, what, what it means is to be a part of a pit crew is to be connected to others. Well, there's something similar to that that we're seeing here in Romans chapter 5. At its very core, what we learn from Romans chapter 5 is that at its very core, Christianity makes us connected. It is uh, corporate. It is communal um, It is connectional. It's by definition that way. Christianity, by definition, then, is not just an individual thing. So I'll try to explain that as we work our way through Romans chapter 5. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, reading from the ESV. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. 
But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, <clears throat> much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that... As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes this morning, that we might behold wonderful things from this, your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Christianity sometimes has some $3 words uh, to, to get your attention and try to explain things. Um, you, might, you might think about something like eschatology. And then sort of a subset of eschatology would be dispensationalism. And you could even uh, combine that and talk about dispensational premillennialism. You sound sort of educated by throwing out some of those words. You can talk about Apollinarianism and... Uh, you can talk about even things like um, hermartiology. I can hardly even say it, which is the study of sin, hermartiology. You can think about um, fancy concepts that we really don't know about, but we try to delve into the mind of God. Things like infralapsarianism and supralapsarianism. And I'm going to explain what all those terms... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to try to explain all those. But there are a couple of words this morning that I do want to spend some time talking about. And those are the words imputation and federal headship. Now, these terms, imputation and federal head, headship, they speak to this idea that I was just talking about of Christianity being at its core, at its DNA, a corporal communal faith. And they're big terms, fancy terms, and sometimes might seem to be hard to understand, but they're actually foundational to Christianity. That they're basic, not in the sense that they're easy, but basic in the sense that they're a part of the foundation of what it really means to understand Christianity. And so I've called my sermon this morning, Christianity 101, Imputation and Federal Headship. And you might think, well, that's not really 101 level. That's 401 or that's graduate school level. But it's because it's so basic to understanding what it really means to be a Christian. I'm calling it Christianity 101, Imputation and federal headship. And I want to explain how those terms uh, teach us that Christianity is corporate, connectional, and communal. 
So first of all, let's look at federal headship. Federal headship teaches us that Christianity means we are connected. Now, Paul teaches that God deals with the human race under a system that we can refer to as federalism. And essentially, what federalism is, is it has to do with representation, with, with one person acting on behalf of another person. You see this all the time. You know, our United States government is a representative system. Our federal government is a representative system. We have a house of representatives. You vote on, on these people and they go up and they cast votes for certain things and that falls on you, those laws that are passed. You think about a courtroom, lawyers. How do we, how do we refer to lawyers in, in the courtroom? They represent you. What they say is what you say. What they don't say is what you say. You think about a union representative in a labor disagreement or a labor conflict or something. Whatever that uh, union representative agrees to, that's what you get paid. What he doesn't agree to, that's not what you're going to get paid. Well, Romans 5 teaches us that God deals with man. He relates to man in a federal way, a, a representative sort of way. And what, what we see here in Romans chapter 5 is that we've got two representatives. God's appointed two representatives in history, Adam and Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Paul in uh, the book of, in his letter to the Corinthians, he refers to Jesus as the second Adam. That's federal headship. Adam, of course, didn't do so well in his representation of man. He disobeyed God. And as a result of his disobedience, all man, mankind, we all are born with a sinful nature. So we've got this proclivity, this inclination to sin. But not only did that become a part of us through uh, Adam's representation, but the guilt that that Adam incurred, that also falls upon us. And the penalty. Adam received the penalty of death. That also falls on us. We all die. And this is what Paul means when in verse 12 he says, All sinned. Because it, Adam's sin falls on all of us. You know, you, you want to find Adam and you want to shake him. You had one job. <laughs> Adam was God's appointed federal head. Representative for all of humanity. Now, the way the Westminster Confession puts it is this way in chapter 6. They, or Adam and Eve, being the root of all mankind, the guilt of their sin was imputed, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity. Federal headship. Representation. What happened with Adam? As our federal head, it comes to us. Now, you see this throughout the Bible. It's not strange. Remember Achan? We read about a guy named Achan in the Old Testament who sinned. And what happened as a result of his sin? His whole family was destroyed. Now, on the other end of the ledger, we read about Rahab, the prostitute, who had faith in God. 
And her whole family was saved from being destroyed by the wrath of God because of her faith. And think about the nation of Israel. All of the Israelites, they were saved from the Philistines. Why? Because this little shepherd boy named David defeated this giant named Goliath. We see it over and over throughout Scripture, this idea of federal headship. But it's hard for us as Americans, Western people, we struggle with this. We say, it's just not fair. You know, we we don't like the idea of someone standing in for us. We want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We want to handle things ourselves. Or even worse, um, we don't like not having the choice of who represents us. It's just the modern Western way to, to value choice above everything else. We would say, well, I didn't elect Adam to be my representative. He's, not, he's not, my, not my representative. Well, yes, he is. Do you really think you could do a better job than God of selecting your representative? Or do you really think you could have been a better representative than the one whom God created who in the garden didn't even have the sinful nature? Again, this is hard for us. Hard for modern people, Western people, Americans especially. In other cultures, the individual is part of the whole. But in the West, it's really not the case. And so here, our commitment to the tribe, our sense of being a part of the whole, it's, it's almost non-existent. And, and we just, we're a people fixated on going our own way, doing our own thing. And we let small preferences oftentimes trump our loyalty to this group or the organization or the institution or the family or whatever. And we need to remember that there is something to be said for subordinating oneself to the group, to the institution, to the tribe, to the family. It's good for the soul when you say no to yourself to show loyalty to to others. It humbles you. You learn contentment when you do that. It builds your strength. It builds your resolve. And it makes you more sensitive so that the next time you have the opportunity to uh, say no to self and yes to the the group, the organization, the family, you know, whatever, the institution, it builds your resolve so that you're able to do that easier. And the reality is if, if you're going to be a Christian, not appreciating this connectional, communal, corporate nature of what it means to be a Christian... It will lead to you being frustrated and it will lead to pain. Because it's, it's a part of the DNA of what Christianity is. Connectional, communal, corporate. And we learn that through federal headship. Federal headship teaches us that Christianity means we're connected. And then second, imputation. I-M-P-U-T-A-T-I-O-N. Imputation. Imputation teaches us that Christianity means that we're connected. You may wonder, all right, what is imputation? Imputation essentially means um, transferred or transferal 
or, or credit. I, I know I've used the illustration before. If, if you, if you are, are not a good student in a certain subject and someone else can take the test for you who's a master in that subject and score an, <coughs> score an A and get that transferred to you or you get credit for that, that's the idea of imputation. And it's similar to federal headship, but federal headship speaks more to the, the who. Imputation speaks to the what. Federal headship is, is, is essentially more of a visible and concrete thing. You know, so-and-so is my, is my representative. But imputation speaks to a little bit more of the abstract concept. Such-and-such such is transferred to me. So that's, that's imputation. And here, what you see is that there are three imputations. So let me just quickly run through these. Imputation number one, Adam's guilt is imputed to us. You see it there in verse 18. Or I mean, it's, it's th throughout this whole section. But one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So, so we're not only born with this inclination to sin... But we also are born with actual guilt for those sins. You know, legally in the world today, the standard, and it's a biblical standard, <clears throat> you're innocent until proven guilty. And that's the way it should be. That's a biblical principle. But interestingly, when you think about this concept of original sin, total depravity, our, uh, the guilt of Adam imputed to us, we're all born Guilty until proven innocent. Adam's guilt is imputed to us. The second imputation, our guilt is imputed to Christ. Adam's to us, ours to Christ. The verse that I think explains this best is, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which reads, He made Him, God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And it's also worded well in Isaiah chapter 53. That's a messianic psalm. It's a prophecy talking about the, the Messiah who would come. And we read these words, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Adam's guilt is imputed to us. Our guilt is imputed to Christ. And finally, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Again, back at verse 18 in Romans 5, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see the words there? Righteous there in verse 18. Obedience in verse 19. So it's not just that our sin is put on Jesus, but His righteousness is put on us. And let me say it in a provocative way. We are saved by works. <laughs> Just not by our works. <laughs> we, every one of us in here, you are saved by works, but you're not saved by your works. 
You've got to have the righteousness of Christ. His perfect works covering you. Maybe this illustration could be helpful to understand this. Think about, uh, say your dad has a business. And uh, he's millions of dollars in debt. And he dies. And that then falls on you. So you have all that debt. And then someone comes along and pays the debt. They pay the bank the millions that you owe. That's a wonderful thing. But not only that, when you think about the righteousness of Christ and being imputed to us in this illustration, not only does that someone come along and pay the, the debt that you owe, but he gives you everything in his bank account. That's imputation. Sometimes it's referred to as double imputation. It, it's not just that Jesus sort of pays the debt and gives you a second chance. That's heresy. <laughs> it's, you know, we serve the God of the second chance. You're going to fail the second time? Okay, we serve a God of the third chance. You're going to fail the third time? You need a righteousness that you could never earn on your own. You think, well, it's, we serve, you know, Jesus pays the debt and he gets us back to ground zero, back to the starting line, and then it's up to us. That's right. The focus is on you and your performance. It'll never be good enough. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines justification as an act of God's free grace, whereby he pardons all our sin and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Again, it's sometimes referred to as double imputation. And I was bad at math, but one of the things that I remember from math class is, and there's probably a correct name for it, you can tell me after the sermon, but there's the X and Y axis. And this would be one of the, you know, I, I love our sanctuary and I don't ever want a screen in here, frankly. But one of, this would be one of those times where a screen could be helpful. You know, every now and then it, it might be nice. And so if you think about the X and Y um, graph or axis in, in a math problem, um, the, uh, the X line is going horizontal and the Y is going uh, vertical. It's up and down. And so in that first, um, this is going to mess you guys up because you're looking at it from, see, that's what you get for sitting in the chapel over there on the, where you can't see as well. But so you've got the graph and, you know, going up the, the Y axis, it's positive numbers. And then going to the right on the X axis, it's positive numbers. And then going to the left on the X axis, it's negative numbers. And going down on the Y axis, it's negative numbers. So this is how W imputation works. Here's us down here in the lower left quadrant. All negative, total depravity, full of sin. Here's Christ up here in the, in, in, uh, to infinity in the upper right quadrant. All positive, all perfect, all holy, all, all righteous. Double imputation is this. Christ takes our place for our sin and he puts us in his place of perfect righteousness. And so you could think about that transfer. That's imputation. That's what we get in Christ. Federal headship. It teaches that we are connected, that Christianity is connectional, communal, corporate in nature. Imputation, same thing, teaches us that Christianity is, is connected, it's, we're, it's corporal, it's communal. 
Now, how might this work itself out? It really does work itself out in application. So that's the third point here. In application, we learn that Christianity means that we're connected. First of all, what we do impacts others. What we do impacts others. No man is an island. The connection between ourselves and other human beings, it is, whether you like it or not, a fact of life. You know, the pit crew that I mentioned earlier, they work together. One messes up, it messes up everything else. Think about a baseball team, a baseball team which all good Christians nowadays are really excited because spring training is upon us. I was reminded, just thinking about this, you know, the Boston Red Sox forever had uh, a so-called curse and they, they wouldn't win a World Series. But in 1986, they were on the verge of winning the World Series. And a guy named Bill Buckner was playing first base. And it's one of the most infamous uh, sports bloopers of all time. It was game six of the World Series. And the Red Sox were up and they were going to win the World Series. It was just amazing. And a ground ball to first base, which Major League Baseball players cleanly field ground balls to the infield all the time. And the ball went right between his legs and rolled into the outfield and they ended up losing the game. The whole team suffered because of Bill Buckner's mistake. You think about... Uh, in the family, if the, if the breadwinner loses his job, everybody's affected. Rob Rayburn puts it this way, it is simply a fact of human life that a great deal of what determines what happens in a person's life is the consequence of that person's connection to those to whom they belong. That's just the way it is. And it's the way it is spiritually. What Adam did affects us. And praise the Lord, what Jesus did affects us as well. What we do impacts others. Secondly, we are responsible for others. You see this when you read your Bibles and especially you think about families. First Peter chapter 5, we see that families are in a very broad way are to be caring for one another. In verse 8 we read, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. Think about um, leaders in the church. They've, they've got to manage their homes well. First Timothy 3. He must manage his own household. Talking about the, uh, elders here. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity. Keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household. How will he care for God's church? Husbands are responsible for their wives. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, the her there being the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives. One author puts it this way. Men come into a pastoral counseling session with the assumption that, quote, she has her problems and I have mine. And the counselor, of course, is there supposed to kind of split the difference, right? But the husband, he writes, is responsible for all the problems. Just as Christ, 
as the head, assumed all the responsibility for all the sins of all his people. So the husband is to assume responsibility for the state of his marriage. What we do impacts others. We're responsible for others. And then third and finally, this is good news for us and others. God's grace is seen in this fact of imputation, this transferal. Don't think of God's grace as something that's kind of like an energy drink. You know, it gives you a little boost, a little bit of power, um, you know, for a little while to do better. And then you hope at the end of your life you hear, good job, you passed the test. No, that's not the way God's grace is. God's grace is a legal declaration. Not guilty. Perfectly righteous. And, and we're not awaiting that verdict in the future. In Christ, by faith, we live in a verdict that's already declared. You would think people would love this idea. Not everybody likes this idea of imputation. Uh, Shane Rosenthal, Rosenthal, who's a executive director or producer or something uh, with the White Horse Inn, he, he does these sort of man-on-the-street interviews, and, he, and he'll, he'll go to Christian conventions of various sorts and do interviews with Christians about things. And he was doing one on this subject of imputation, really. And he asked the question, does God hold us guilty for Adam's sin? Or does God only hold us guilty for the actual sins we commit? And so oftentimes the answer was no. You know, God gives us free will. So he asked the question, is it wrong for God to hold someone guilty for what someone else did? And the answer was, you know, almost always yes. And so he followed up then how do you explain the fact that God holds Jesus guilty for what you and I did? <laughs> and that's when you say, wow, God's grace is amazing. You know, if one man's disobedience is our disobedience, then one man's obedience is our obedience. If Adam could represent us before a holy God, then Jesus can too, which is what it says in verse 14. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Y'all, we've got to appreciate this idea of federal headship. We've got to appreciate this idea of imputation. And it's because we, people, humanity, is, uh, we're under a federal head, of course, Jesus that verse 11 is true. I didn't read verse 11. Verse, verse 11 says, We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Because of that double imputation, Jesus taking our guilt, us receiving His righteousness, we are reconciled to God. One commentary puts it this way. Federal headship means we can have a peace with God that the Western individualism in which we are soaked can never offer. The federal headship of Christ. The imputation of our, of our sin onto Christ. The imputation of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It is our only hope. And I think it's worded in well in one of my favorite hymns. 
Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. The first verse is, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. My beauty are my glorious dress. So in other words, the blood and righteousness of Christ, that's my only hope for having any sort of beauty. Or that's the way I want to, that's the glorious dress. That's the way I want to dress myself. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. My beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds, in the midst of a sinful world, in these arrayed, in what arrayed? In the, in the blood and righteousness of Christ. In these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us all to appreciate the federal headship of Christ and this concept of imputation. We are blessed people to be connected to Jesus. It's a blessing to be a part of a corporal faith. May we appreciate the fact that being connected to others is in the DNA of Christianity. Therefore, it's in our DNA as Christians. And may we live in light of it rather than fight against it. Amen. Let's stand together and...